Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Most of you know uh, that I'm a twin. Some of you may not know that uh, if you're new here today, but I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. He's not as good looking, not as uh, smart, none of those things, you know, but he's there, my twin brother. His name is Kestrel. And as a twin, you get used to people comparing you. Comparing you as you, you know, when you're younger, who runs fastest, uh, who can bowl the cricket ball the fastest, uh, the the best, uh, who's stronger uh, as you get older, who's got better marks, who's getting taller, know that. You know, if you've got a brother or sister, you'll probably compare to them. Uh, As we went, as we got older, we went to university and we joined a gym. So we joined this gym. We used to go there uh, multiple times a week to the gym, you know, pump an iron. As you can tell, like, look at me, like, I'm I'm a, whoa, just so fit and uh so we used to go there and we we would compare ourselves to each other you know we'd want to lift more weights I'd want to lift more weights than my twin Kesh I'd want to do more reps you know I want to have more abs six pack man I wanted a 12 pack and now I've got a 24 pack but uh we won't go into that and uh so we'd we'd do that now I remember one time there was a there was a a bench press competition anyone been in the gym and know what a bench press is yeah, some of us know what that is. That's where you lie down on a bench and you press weights. And so there was a bench press competition. So we're getting ready for that, getting prepared for that. And so we go along to the day of the competition. And, and I can't remember which one of us lifted more weight out of myself or my twin. Um, but what I do remember is that in our, in our like, obsession with comparing ourselves to each other, we kind of forgot about there was these other people competing as well. We came last or something. We came really bad. We were starting a series today called The Comparison Trap. And I just want to have full disclosure today, this is not a new, new series, this is a new, old series. You're like, what does that mean, Bronson? That means that this is a series that I've actually preached before, but I just really felt God's leading to say, hey, that this is appropriate for where I want to take our church this year and doing that internal change, internal transformation that I want to see in people's lives. So for some people, this is a new, new series. For some people, this may be a new, old series. But here's what I've noticed about myself, and my story talks about it. Often, I'm trying to figure out where I am in life by looking around me at other people, at where they are, to see what they're doing, to see and to compare, am I doing okay? Am I doing all right? And, and, and you know, I look at people and I, I compare myself to other pastors in their church. I compare my family, my wife and my children to other families. And I look at my career, how I'm doing and the, 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 the wealth that I have and the possessions I have. I reckon that quite possibly you're the same. Turn the person next to you and say, you're the same. Everything that I have, how does it compare to everything others have? And really, I'm asking the question, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself saying, how am I doing? How am I measuring Am I making it? Am I making it? And basically, we all want bigger er added to the words to describe us. You're like, what does that mean? Bigger er? That's not very good grammar, Bronson. Well, I'm going to explain it. Because we live in the land of er. Let me give you some examples. I think it's going to be on the screen. The land of er. We want to be rich er. Come on, someone help me. We want to be skinny. We want to be tall, pretty. Happy, lit, come on, lit, gifted, that's me just trying to be relevant, sorry guys, I'm I'm 43 Bronson, please don't try and do that, but am I right? 
Come on, am I right? Let's be real. Things we want more. Uh, and if I can get more than you, then I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be more happy. Don't get me wrong. I like you. I like your family. But, you know, when I get in the car and drive away from church today, I want to say, man, these guys are great. But, man, I'm uh. I'm just, compared to them, I'm uh. And it gets worse. Young people, you start dating a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're a bit more mature, uh, you know, a partner. And uh, you start dating and, and you want more urge. You want him to be richer. You want her to be prettier. You want him to have, uh, you know, more ha- be Hampson, er. Then we get married. And there's lots of urs we want for our spouse then, isn't there? And we say things like, hey, I just want my spouse to reach their full potential. And their full potential means like 50 years that I want them to have, you know. Honey, I need a little more uh, here, a little less there, something going on there. And it's got, it's got nothing to do with them and actually everything to do with you and how you feel because you're comparing yourself. Other people think about me, it's what other people think about you. Then if you're blessed by God, it reaches another level and the kids come along. No, no one's really excited about kids. <laughs> wow, wow. Good thing they're in children's church. No complexes happening here. You get there, he comes to church. Uh-oh. And we hear about how everyone else's kids are developing and what everyone else's kids are doing. And you hear about, you know, how advanced they are. And it's like, oh, oh Johnny skipped another grade this year. And you're looking at your kid who's running around in circles, hitting the wall. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. And they're fantastic at music and they just got the school captain and the sports captain and all these things. And so you compare your kids and you tell them, kids, I want you to reach your full potential. And, you know, then suddenly you're on their back and you're comparing. But what you, you know, you're trying to get them to do other things. But it's not even about your kids. It's really about you comparing your parenting to other people's parenting. And you start to say, I want my kids to reach their full potential, but secretly, and we'd never, we'd never admit this in church because we're good Christians, but just secretly, when that other little kid has a little failure or doesn't quite measure up to things, you're like, yes, oh, I feel so good about my kids. You know, when, they don't, when they're not as tough or they're not as good looking or they miss out on something, you say, yes, no one like that, I better repent. What is that? What causes it? What makes us sometimes feel good when something bad happens to someone else? It's because we live in that place of err. You know, that place of err, and it continues. It continues because then there's, there's those of us who, who we have more err than. Yeah? There's those that we have more err than, you know, and they're heavier, they're slower, they're shorter, per, poorer, nerdier. Any nerdier people here, I'll put my hand up for that. I'm a bit of a nerd, IT and all that kind of stuff. They're nerdier than us, and that, that then makes us feel superior, err, superior, put it up. Yeah, that's it, superior, and then it continues even more. They're not even happy with err, they want ist, ist, richest. Smartest, happiest, healthiest, most insta-liked-ist. You know, they want ist. If they can have all that, they're going to make it. Or perhaps for you, there's another place actually where you've gone, haven't gone through all this, looking all around you, seen everything that's happened. Maybe you've come to the conclusion that in fact you don't like yourself. Maybe you hate yourself because you will never be as whatever it might be as them. In all you're looking, in all you're comparing, you come to this place, I will never be as because of them. You know, you may never be 
that happy. You may never be that financially secure. Maybe your kids may never be that smart. Uh, Your marriage may never be that good. And you look in the mirror and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. And if you don't get anything out of this message today, if nothing speaks to you, I want you to take uh, this one simple idea uh, that I'm going to tell you about shortly. It comes from Scripture. This one changer for you, for your life. And uh, if you're tempted, every time you're tempted to look around and compare yourself to others, this could be powerful in your life. This is the simple thought is this. There is no win in comparison. Say it with me. There's no win in comparison. See, there's no win. There's no finish line. There's no, there's no completion place. There's no satisfaction. Uh, it, there's no win. If you're better than people, that doesn't help you. If you, measure, if you don't measure up to people, that doesn't help you. You know, whatever you do, there's no win in comparison. And in fact, I would even say that comparison can be very dangerous. It could take you to dangerous places. See, some of you, if you're really honest, you're in financial difficulties, financial debt, because you've gone to a place because you've purchased things, you drive things, wear things, eat things, and the only reason, when you said, if they have it, I must need to have it as well. Now you're in debt because of comparison. Some of you, you're driving your spouse crazy. You're driving your kids crazy because of comparison. Oh, you, just, you just want them to reach their full potential. Things, but really, it's not about them. It's about you. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous place to live. Some of you might have family or friends that you no longer get, away, get along with. You no longer talk to because you're jealous. Because of everything that they have in life, because of what they've achieved, where they are, you'll never drive that, live like that, be that happy. And eventually you start to rejoice when you hear of a failure in their life or you hear something go wrong in their life. And it's a dangerous thing. How far can it go in Matthew 27 and Mark 15? We see how far it can go. The Jewish leaders bring Jesus Christ before uh, Pilate, who was the Roman uh, governor of the area, and they bring him to Jesus to be crude reasons about why it is blasphemy and all these kind of things. But really at the root of it, the scriptures say that Pilate could see that they were jealous of what Jesus had. The crowds, the people, they were jealous. They were comparing themselves, and it drove them to bring Jesus to be crucified. Uh, in a much less extreme way, like I hope we're not uh, bringing anyone, but in a much less extreme way, we have the potential to hurt people as well and to hurt ourselves because of our tendency to compare where we are with the people around us. Hey, let's look in Scripture. The wisest person who ever lived besides Jesus, he said this in Proverbs 14.30. He said, envy rots the bones. Turn to the person next to you say, envy rocks the bones. See, envy rots the bones. There's no win in comparison. So here's the question we're going to ask in this series over, the next, over today and the next two, two Sundays. We're going to ask this question. How do we improve without slipping into the comparison trap? Because I'm not here to say today that you can't have more in life, that you haven't been called to achieve in life and to set goals and do those things. I'm not saying that at all. But how do we avoid the comparison trap? Today we're going to look at some things that are said in the Old Testament And the next couple of Sundays, we're going to look at some things that were said in the New Testament. And it should not surprise you that the Bible has something to say about comparison. I say this all the time. I say it often. The Bible has a topic in life, every situation, every circumstance you are ever going to face. So go to the Bible and find answers there. Uh, I want to look at Solomon and some of the things that he had to say. Now, Solomon, I'll just get this out of the way straight up. He did more than you're ever going to do. Like, 
Like, I'm not trying to speak a negative word over your life. Like, I'm not declaring, like, uh, poverty and failed relationships. But Solomon, he did more than you're ever going to do in your life. Like, whatever you're going to do, whatever you're going to accomplish, you're not going to keep up with Solomon. Solomon was the richest man in the world at his time. So I think uh, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world at our time, something like $250 billion. That's Solomon, richest man of his time. Uh, he was the wisest man of his time. Kings and queens would come and sit at his feet to hear his wisdom. That's how wise he was. Uh, he, had the, the, he had like 300 wives and 700 concubines. I don't know if that's very wise, but anyway, you know. <laughs> Guys, if you think you had a lot of girlfriends, he had more girlfriends than you, okay? Before you got married... That's straight. You know, he had it all. He had it all. And Solomon, he looks at the world and the tendency to compare ourselves with others. And look at what he says in Ecclesiastes. He says this, 4-4. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. In all his study, in all his observation of human nature, in all his, you know, looking at the way that we interact with each other, he concluded this, that the thing that drives most people is competition. How am I measuring up against other people? What, am I, what I'm driving, where I live, what I wear, my career, how am I doing compared to other people? Solomon, he says this 3,000 years ago. It's not a modern issue. It's not, you know, it's like, well, this is because of postmodernism and, you know, we've, you know, no, no, no. This is something that's been around for thousands of years. It's been going on for a long time. We could paraphrase it to this. He saw people determining where they were based on where someone else was. And he says in verse 4, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon says, you know, comparing yourself to others, being envious of another person, is like chasing the wind. It's meaningless. Has anyone here ever tried to chase the wind? <laughs> Someone put their hand up. You can't catch the wind. Like you, you try to grasp it and it just disappears. Like you can't catch the wind. It's, 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 it's meaningless. It's foolishness. See, there's no peace. There's no satisfaction when we're chasing the wind. So you might be thinking, does that mean we just sit around and do nothing? Well, Solomon had some thoughts about that as well. In verse 5, he says, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So Solomon says, you know, just so you know, there is work we've got to do in life. There's things we've got to accomplish. There's calls of God on our lives that he wants to see us do. There's an anointing to see people come to Jesus. There's families we've got to look after. You know, workplaces we've got to do our best. All those types of things. You know, Solomon's like, have you, like, have you seen the amount of gold I've got? Have you seen the infrastructure that I built? You know, Solomon did things. He's not saying you shouldn't try to do your best. What, you know, only a fool would fold their hands and do nothing. Doing nothing hurts you. So what is Solomon saying? What is he saying then? You know, how does he address this no win in comparison? Check this out. Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better one hand with tranquility than two hands with toil and chasing after the wind. I love that thought. Better one hand with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. You know, the, the imagery here that Solomon is trying to paint is very rich. It's very rich. He, he, he's, he's painting it like this. He's saying it's better to have one hand open. The implication being that, that, you know, one hand open, God can put into that one hand. God can take out of that one hand as he chooses. It's better to have that one hand open. To receive all that God has for you than to have two hands closed, 
grabbing onto, holding onto, trying to get as much as you can out of life and striving and toiling and doing quality and contentment with what one hand can hold or, or dissatisfaction, toil, you know, uh, misery, uh, never, never any peace, never any tra- tranquility, chasing after the wind with two fists closed. Better one hand with tranquility. Solomon says that. Say it with me. Better one hand with tranquility. Let that settle into your heart for a moment. Let me, let's just take a, a moment to pause and think about that, to digest that. Better one hand with tranquility. One hand with tranquility. Think about that. God, one hand. Better one hand with tranquility. See, as you begin to reach for more, as you begin to, you know, perhaps ignore your family to work more, to improve your career, as you maybe compare your daughter against someone else's daughter, as you perhaps maybe push your son a little bit harder because you hear about what someone else's son is doing, you know, as you bounce, that maybe isn't their issue, it's your issue. As you do these things, if you would stop and pause, you'll realize something. You know what you're doing? You're clenching on with two fists. You're clenching on with two fists. You're chasing after the wind. Solomon, this is not Bronson today. I'm a little bit smart. Just a little bit smart. Solomon, massively smart. Wisest man in the world said, better one hand with tranquility. Solomon continues and he talks about a man who had no end to his toil and yet was not content with his health, and he asks himself an important question, one we should ask ourselves, Ecclesiastes 4.8, for whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I just depriving myself of enjoyment? For whom am I toiling? Like, why am I living like this? Why have I got two hands clenched comparing myself to others? Who am I doing this for? What is the reason that I, that I, that I live like this? And, and Solomon says this as, a, as he continues in verse 8. A miserable business. You're like, well, Bronson, I don't know if I came today to hear about meaningless and miserable existences. It's meaningless. It's a miserable business. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. You know, as long as you are living life, trying to clench on, grasp a hold of, of, of everything with two fists, wishing you had a third hand so I could grab more of this or get more of that over there, you're going to find it yourself that no matter what you accomplish, how smart your kids is, how beautiful your wife or how handsome your husband is or how great your career and your drive is, uh, your job is or whatever it might be, what, as long as you have a mindset of two hands closed, clenched, in trying to hold on, you'll find it's a miserable business and you'll never enjoy life. How do we know this? Just look at some of the most successful and richest people in the world grasping a hold of, still want more, still comparing themselves to another person, wanting more, you know, trading in, relation, comparing things, always trying to get and get. It's a miserable business. Bottom line is there's no win in comparison, the kids could come today, that'd be great. What if instead we learn to live with and we learn to catch ourselves when we start to clench our fists? How about that? What if we learned to say, hey, you know what, Bronson, when I start to compare myself to the pastor down the road, or when I start to compare myself 
to that amazing, you know, guy, such a great husband, comparing himself to that. How about instead of trying to, you know, grab a hold of that and clench my fists in the comparison trap, how about I have an open hand, an open hand before God, you know, with ourselves, with our jobs, with our relationships, with our possessions. What if we learn to live with our families and our relationships with God? And we're going to look at that in our series. Here's the deal. All of us are looking somewhere. We're all looking somewhere. We're using someone, something to determine how we're really doing. Subconsciously, that's what you're doing. You might look at your, your family members, your siblings, like how, how successful is he? You might look at a, a friend that you know at work. You might look at a high school, someone you went to high school who's, a, who's achieving and you're comparing. You might look at your parents and you're looking and you're comparing yourself. And we need to answer, we're doing that. What and who am I going to use as my reference point to tell me I'm okay, that I'm doing all right? What or who am I going to I'm doing all right? And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, how successful you are looking for someone or something to say to us, hey, you know what? You're doing good. You're doing okay. Every single one of us, we're looking for that. It doesn't matter how successful you are or you aren't. That's, that's exactly where you want, you know, you're exactly where you need to be. Bronson, you're doing fine. You're doing. So let me, let me ask you this question today. Let me leave you with this question. Where are you looking today to tell you that you're doing okay? Are you looking to your bank account and money, your job? Your boss? Are you looking to your kids or your looks in the mirror? You know, how well your partner does? What or who are you looking to, to to feel I'm okay? Solomon says, if you look around to the left and the right, you look at other people and other things and you compare themselves to them, if you're not careful, you're going to end up in that position of clinching too fast and you're never going to feel like you're okay. Solomon, he had a law and he says, I've been there, I've done that. It's chasing after the wind. Next week, we're going to continue on this thought. We're going to talk about this, unpack a little bit longer, dive into the question, if we're going to look somewhere, where do we look? And Here's the crux. You can't really be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ and chase the wind at the same time. Like you can't really be sincerely following Jesus and chasing after the wind at the same time. Like this is not just a... Hey, you might be saying, hey, this is kind of like a motivational speech today. No, this is a spiritual issue. And the inside of you that you are chasing after is a spiritual issue. And Jesus wants to deal with that. He wants to speak to you. He wants to let you know, hey, better one hand open. Open to what I want to do in your life. Open to the call I have for you. Open to the place that I've placed you. Did you know I've placed you where you are? And while you're looking around at what everyone else is doing, where they are, you, you, you don't realize I've put you exactly where you are for a reason. You're there. What you've gone through in life, I did not necessarily bring it upon your life, but I can use it to be an example for others. Better one hand open to receive from me than two hands closed off, closed off from all I want to do in your life, closed off from all I want to do for you. It's a spiritual issue, this issue of comparison. So today, let's stop. Let's go from living in the land of Ur to living in the land, uh, go from the land of Ur I was going to say to living in the land of Ist, but no. Let's go from living in the land of Ur. Let's go from living in the land of Ist. Let's come before God. Let's stop chasing the wind, living with two fists clenched. Let's do it with an open hand. You know what you're going to find? Think that if I can grab all I get, then I'm going to find peace. You're not going to find peace. you find peace in Christ. You'll find peace in Jesus. 
And maybe you're here today and this is the first time you're in church. You've never heard anyone speak about this. And you find in your own life that you are looking, you are, you are trying to achieve, you're trying to do more. And but that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But can I let you know, you're not going to find what you think you're going to find. You're not going to find contentment in a, in, a, in a bank account. You're not going to find satisfaction in a relationship. All those things can add to our lives, but they're not going to fill that hole in your heart, that internal longing, that desire in you that says there must be more to life. Is this it? Like Solomon says, is this it? All this toiling, it's meaningless. Is this it? Is life meaningless? I want to let you know today, life is not meaningless. Jesus Christ came and died for you as we shared over communion. He came for you so you might know a life of satisfaction and contentment. You might know Jesus Christ. Let's close our eyes. And-